your virtual webmaster frat house. Webmasterradio.fm. Hey, bring your togas. Webmasterradio.fm. Thanks for listening. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Feeling better? Looking better. Making life better. It's Life Tips. Life We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Welcome your hosts, Byron White and Amanda Smith. Welcome everybody to the Life Tips show. Amanda, how are you today? I am so good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm better than usual, Byron. You know, I've never known you in a day that things were not so good or so great or so rosy. So thanks for all the bright sunshine you bring to our day. Tell us about our guest today, Chris McGibbon. So our guest today, today is all about fish. And I know you love fishing, so this is right Mm. up your alley. So he's actually a fish biologist for the Southern California Department of Fish and Wild Game. And he's actually going to talk to us a little bit more about some of the water quality issues that we're seeing nationwide, some of the issues we're seeing with fishing and and camping, especially going into the camping season. I think that this is a good time to start talking about things of this nature. Can't wait. We'll we'll chat with him in a minute. But I, I want to start our debut with bringing a few tips to the table. I've got a few for you. Okay. Now I'm sure you have a couple as well. Do you want to go first? Well, I was gonna, actually, I have a great tip on the proper way to put out a campfire, which is very serious. I mean, a lot of campfire, pro, a lot of, uh, of the forest fires that we're seeing in the past few years are actually due to, to people improperly putting out campfires. So tips on the proper way to douse a campfire is very important. But funny story, while I was looking for this tip, I actually found right on our Life Tips site a great tip on the proper way to uh, go to the bathroom in the woods. So I'll tell you, Byron, there is nothing that you can't find a tip on on our tip site, let me tell you. (laughs) Can't wait um, to hear more about that. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm not even going to give that one out. (laughs) Our listeners can actually go right to lifetips.com to find out that one. Um, But the proper way to douse a campfire, actually, uh, a lot of people assume that that once you stop seeing the embers burning, that it's out. There's actually a proper way you need to turn the soil with the embers until that's completely covered and mixed up. Once it's uh, had about an hour to cool off, then you want to douse it with water and wait until the steam has completely settled. Move any loose debris and leaves away from the area and wait an additional hour until the steam has completely cooled off before leaving your camp spot. Great tip. Well, here's my quick tip, and then we'll get on with our guest. Fly fishing. It's an art. It's a science. It's tough to put it together, but fly fishing is truly one of the most exciting sports, in my opinion, save, you know, radical things like motocross riding and other stuff that's crazy that that we'll talk more about later. (laughs) But um, the trick with with learning how to fly fish and learning the art is something that I'm certain you're going to be able to remember. 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, okay? When you're pulling the fly out of the water, by the way, tip number one, cover your fly with tape, probably duct tape in your case, Amanda. (laughs) And so when you're practicing, you're not flying around. You want to certainly wear protective glasses and a hat. In your case, metal armor would be good. (laughs) But as you're learning to fly fish, you want to to pick the fly up very quickly and bring your rod back to a 2 o'clock position. And then as the fly comes all the way back, you'll feel the tension in the end. When it, when it reaches the end point, you're going to cast it out to 2 o'clock, 
whereupon you're going to come back to 2 o'clock, back to 10 o'clock, back to 2 o'clock, and then make your cast again. So 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock is my tip for everybody today. But let's bring on Chris that can straighten us out <laughs> with probably fishing problems much better than that. Chris, welcome to the show today. Hi, right, thank you. So aside from the 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock and campfire trip, tell us a little bit about your role as a fisheries uh, biologist with Southern California Wildfire Fish and Game. Uh, tell us about what you're doing out there and, and really what's going on. Um, yeah, like you said, I'm a fisheries biologist. Um, I'm a state employee, and um, I basically uh, monitor Southern California's waters for um, specifically trout and trout populations and the water quality associated with maintaining healthy populations of trout. And then um, after that, I kind of like to encourage people to get out in the woods and, and go and experience um, the, the trout opportunities that California provides. Tell us a little bit about the situation out there. How have things changed? How long have you worked uh, for the for the uh, for the state in this in this role? And ha- and tell us about some of the radical change you've seen. I know it was a big drought out this year, but tell us what's going on from your perspective. Well, I've kind of bounced around the state uh, more all my life, but um, I've been employed by the state now for about five years, and and uh, recently I moved um, to Southern California to pick up this job and. Um, so I've been down here for about uh, just under two years, and um, it just so happens it's been two of the worst years of drought Southern California has ever seen. Um, so I showed up onto the scene with little to no water in a lot of the areas where trout used to persist, and a lot of the populations were seeing um, uh, drought conditions, which led to a lot of die-offs. Um, and, and that was really unfortunate, but that was due to mostly weather. Um, there was some human-caused interference as well, um, uh, such as reservoirs or, or um, I don't know, uh, uh, mostly due to weather, really. Um, but, what about uh, acid yeah, rain? Yeah, I get out and, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 what about acid rain, other problems you're seeing? I mean, the drought, well, talk with me about acid rain and, uh, as well. I mean, with, with with less water to work with, isn't, Acidic rain also becoming a problem, or are, are fish like trout sort of immune to those problems? Um, well, I wouldn't say acid rain is a huge influence. Um, what what happens is uh, we we've had some fires that have come through uh, in the past two years, and and um, with uh, little to no rain, um, you don't really get a flushing effect um, that flushes out the systems with uh, in regards to ash that falls into the water. And so, um, no, no rain. Uh, there's a, an accumulation of, of poor um, poor water quality, and over time, that will affect a, a population negatively. Um, acid rain isn't too much of an issue for trout, um, as in the trout are fairly tolerable to um, uh, different ranges of pH. But um, other populations could be affected by uh, changes in, in acidity. What effect is lack of water having? Is it, um, you know, is it less food, therefore more fish are dying? Is it affecting breeding? Is it, you know, give give me a flavor for what's happening happening in the ecosystem there. Uh, well, it's just about all of the above, really. <laughs> um, it it uh, uh, so essentially, you know, less water means less habitat. Um, less habitat means less food availability. 
Um, it also means that the fish aren't able to really um, select uh, their preferred habitat. An individual's preferred habitat might be kind of constricted to something they're not so comfortable in, and then eventually that leads to stress, and, and uh, fish die pretty quickly once they start to get stressed. What percentage of the brooks and streams and, uh, you know, uh, areas where, where you'd find brook trout, particularly in some of the wonderful uh, fish that you can catch, um, you know, what percentage of those, because of the drought, have just, just are gone? You know, just like, boom. Um, well, we don't actually have brook trout in this area. We deal mostly with rainbow trout. Um, and rainbow trout are actually, um, for the most part, native uh, to Southern California. Lots of the creeks that we have here, um, they are native fish. Uh, a lot of times they've become wild, um, and that's due to people transplanting fish, which we can talk about later. But um, rainbow trout is, is fairly fairly persistent. I mean, it evolved in this in this uh, area, um, so it's able to come back. Um, just what tends to happen is um, once humans intervene or interfere, I might say, um, with with a population that's trying to come back, um, they might just kind of push it over the edge and then it, it no longer exists. Um, Percentage-wise, I would say that pretty much everything was negatively affected in this area um, due, to, due to the past years of drought. Um, but um, I couldn't really give you a, a solid percentage. Uh, um, I, I would definitely say everything's been affected, though. Um. Mandy, couple questions. Oh yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, right. uh, Chris, when I spoke to you earlier today, uh, we talked about how you're having some bullfrog problems. I didn't realize that bullfrogs were kind of the jerks of the aquatic world. Um, I know you're having some problems with some non-native species. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I would also say, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Non-natives are really kind of um, one of the biggest problems that, that I deal with. Um, and non-natives are directly uh, related to, um, you know, humans' transport. I mean, they didn't get there by themselves, otherwise they would be natives. Um, and so what's happened is uh, species like the, the bullfrog um, and uh, um there's uh, there's others out there too, but the bullfrog specifically, it's it's a uh, it's it really is the bully. It pretty much eats everything from um, bats to birds to small mammals to fish to snakes, um, and so it's it's a predator that's uh, been introduced, and a lot of systems really just can't handle the extra pressure that's brought on by this particular type of predator, and so um, along with you know, two years of drought, a system might uh, not handle having a non-native predator like that so well. So um, that's an issue. Um, Non-natives also in the form of um, plants. Um, plants come in and um, particular plants from other parts of the world might have adapted to um, take up water from further down in the, in the soil and substrate. And so um, they come in and they soak up uh, the entire um, uh, entire aquifer, and that actually will end up causing uh, artificial drought for the native plants in the in the area, and so that's that can be really bad too because we see that in um, wetlands quite often, and wetlands are really the lifeblood for multiple bird species, and and uh, so you you get this um, artificial drought really um, created by 
non-native plants. Well, no, how did non-native species end up here? Like, who could we blame for this? Because I will write them a strongly worded letter, I swear. <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot of point sources. Um, there's uh, there, um, well, um, let's see where, where to even begin. Um, a lot of a lot of non-natives have traveled over. Um, they tend to get out and get around um, on livestock animals. That's how grasses get introduced, either through being carried through by the digestive system and then being released in different areas. Um, or just seed pods get caught on coats and come over on the animal's hide. Um, or um, a lot of it also um, is big um, um, uh, ships that come over, cargo ships that come over, and they drop their, their bilge um, when they hit different ports. And then so all of a sudden you have uh, non-native crab species introduced from California that was initially from China. Um, that's actually one huge problem we're seeing in the in the um, Sacramento Central Valley, um, and that is that uh, we have non-native crabs that have been introduced, as well as mussels and snails from across the world, and they're now kind of just taking over California, slowly but surely. Really, this is not. I mean, that's that's a problem that I just really didn't take into consideration. I mean, I know you guys are facing a lot of different problems with all the droughts and. Um, you know, normal pollution problems, but, uh, you know, non-native species, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, non-natives <laughs> so, uh, are really one of our biggest problems. So what do you do with, for example, what do you do about the bullfrogs? Um, well, there's there's lots of ways people can get involved. Um, uh, one way is just talking to your local biologist like myself, and I can recommend um, uh, different nonprofits that go out and, uh, they do uh, non-native species removal, uh, not so much really bullfrogs, but with plants, um, there's whole watersheds that have been affected by, uh, you know, non-native species. And people get out grassroots style, go out and rip up plants that they know and have identified to be harmful. Um, this is more important in, in some watersheds with some plants than others, but um, that's a good way to get started. Um, a lot of times... Uh, um, agencies will put kind of like a bounty out on non-natives, and they'll be, um, I mean, it doesn't have to be. So there's like a bounty out on bullfrogs. It, it, it can be that way. Um, it happens really? sometimes with non-native fish species, yeah. Um, not right now, not in Southern California, but I know um, up in Oregon they have something like that on the Colorado with a particular fish species. And there's, um, uh, they do... Um, or incentive, uh, such as come and catch all of them you want, and you can keep as many as you want. Um, if it's a problematic species, um, that's what fisheries management tries to, you know, kind of come up with uh, new ways to, to battle non-natives sometimes. Well, you know what, Chris? We're going to take a break for just one minute, and then when we come back, we're going to finish up our interview with you and talk some more fish tips, okay? We'll be Great. right back. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. 
Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. SEOSeek.com is your one-stop site for everything SEO. From search engine marketing to pay-per-click management, SEOSeek.com delivers high-quality SEO services at affordable prices. SEOSeek.com can help you with SEO analysis, monthly reports, title and meta tag optimization, email support, and so much more. Want to keep your SEO in-house? Let our professional trainers teach SEO to your staff. Get a free quote and a free competitive analysis today at SEOSeek.com. Welcome back to our coverage of the 17th Annual Golf Invitational, brought to you by SureHits.com. When looking for the right ad network, there seem to be unlimited choices. Go with the only network that targets the insurance industry, SureHits.com. Let's head down to the fairway. Here we are at the 18th hole. Odd choice for Ken Mitchum to not go with SureHits.com here. I mean, they are the only ad network that targets the insurance industry. Definitely a strange choice to not pick the best option for publishers in the finest category, but, oh, here's a swing. Oh, look out, folks. Terrible slice into the woods. Jeff Burns now stepping up to the fairway. And it looks like he's already chosen SureHits.com. Clearly the best choice since they pay more for quality traffic. And the swing. Oh, my. He crushes it. When getting ready to make your drive, go with a sure thing. SureHits.com. For insurance, it's SureHits. This is Rainmaker. Jack LaLanne, a lot of people that are listening to the show right now, they're sitting in front of their computers for hours and hours every day. You know what they ought to do about every hour or so? They should just stand up and sit down in their chair. You're sitting down now, right? Absolutely. Stand up. Okay. Now sit down. <laughs> stand up. Sit down. Keep going. I do it fast. Sit down. Sit down. Get your backside to the chair. Let me tell you, I'm already huffing and puffing. <laughs> okay. Rainmaker. Live broadcast Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. We're on demand anytime inside the Entertainment Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Find the WebmasterRadio.fm Web 2.0 watering hole and have a drink on us. WebmasterRadio.fm is now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Find us now on the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Chris McGiven, a fabulous state employee of the state of California that's helping us to keep our trout possibilities of, of uh, alive here. Welcome back, Chris. Hi, thanks. Thanks for being on the show today. So, are fish getting smaller or fewer? In California, <laughs> um, I'd say they're probably staying the same size. Uh, fewer, potentially. Um, we had a really good rain year this year, um, where we we uh, most of California actually had a uh, really good rain year and, and uh, good snowpack in the high elevations, which um, overall is is good for fisheries populations. So I'm looking, and uh, when I go out in the in the hills and stuff, I've seen. Um, Pretty much most populations reproducing pretty pretty well this this spring, and that's really encouraging. Um, 
you know, if it's a native population, I kind of expect it to come back because, like I said, it evolved, and I'm sure it's seen worse droughts. Um, you know, California probably has seen worse droughts just because our records don't show it doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But um, I, I expect the native populations to do fairly well this year. Um, Non-native populations, well, if they don't handle uh, drought all that well or they thrive on it and then see a lot of water the next year and for whatever reason don't thrive on that, well, um, that's just uh, well too bad for those non-natives. For the Californians out there, any hot fishing spots that you recommend that you see in your in your uh, in your uh, in your trout scope that of places you recommend to fish? Um, yeah, well, there's there's a lot of places out here. Um, that's kind of one of the cool things about California. And that's there's pretty much fish everywhere. But um, uh, locally or regionally, um, we have uh, several reservoirs that. Um, Pretty much are are uh, are dedicated to fishing. Um, um, so most reservoirs down here have uh, great um, sunfish fisheries, say bass or bluegill stuff like that. Um, a lot of the rivers down here we actually have ha- uh, dedicated um, to um, catch and release or um, artificial barbless lures, which is easier on the fish, um, and in in regards to putting them back. And that uh, keeps a consistent fishery. You know, if you don't take fish out, then they're there for the next person to come along and enjoy. Um, and actually, uh, a really good place to start um, would be the California, um, the state of California uh, webpage. Um, if you were to go to Fishing Game and start perusing the site, we actually have listed great places and historic places to go fish, um, whether it's for natives or big fish or fast-action fisheries. Um, we've pretty much quali- quantified and qualified all that type of stuff on the Internet um, because I, I, I work such a great, such a huge area. I would hate to just recommend one place when there's probably dozens I could just ramble on about. One final question for me. Tell me the day in the life of your job where fish are the focal point of your existence. What a cool job. Give me give me a day in the life of, of, of what you do, Chris. <laughs> um, that's funny. My, my job varies quite a bit, um, but I do travel qu- quite a lot throughout the state, um, mostly, like you said, uh, and you know, Southern California. So I'll typically wake up pretty early and... Um, try and get on the road and, and beat the California traffic, uh, which can be pretty intense. And then I end up uh, going to a target stream. Uh, it could be a target stream for whatever reason. Uh, I either need to know if there's fish there or we know there's fish there and they need to be looked at or it's a continued monitoring um, type issue. Uh, but I'll, I'll get to the creek and and usually I'll, I'll walk a couple miles of the creek and just kind of inspect and record environmental conditions, uh, the particular types of habitat that are available to whatever species of fish that might be present. And then um, sometimes I'll, I'll sample. Um, and sampling is done in a variety of ways. Um, sometimes we use nets. Sometimes we use um, electric shock to catch fish. Sometimes we use actually the good old hook and line. Um, and that's definitely one of the job perks. Okay, I have officially resigned at Life Tips. <laughs> will be your assistant for six months, working for free, getting some training. It's a dream job, I right, Byron? Appreciate volunteers. <laughs>
Yes. So, now, Chris, I happen to know that someone that you know, and I know that you know who we're talking about. We're talking about your sister, Carolyn, who works here at Life Tips. She's actually one of our best editors here. She's amazing. Now, I totally got the inside scoop on you. Um, I heard that when you were a kid, you actually had the ability to reach into the water and actually grab a fish right out of the stream. Is this true, or is she totally yanking my chain? <laughs> no, it's true. I do it all the time, actually. Really? You're like a beast master. That's awesome. <laughs> One with the fish. That's right. <laughs> so did you, were you really able to do that when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've been doing that uh, my whole life, and that's why I think it was an easy transition into this job. So you've really loved fish from like day one. That's totally been your your set course in life. Yeah, yeah. I had aquariums when I was a kid, and my dad kind of raised uh, raised me with a fly rod in my hands. So it was that's pretty natural. awesome. I got to tell you, Byron's not going to work here anymore. Now that you've told him how cool your job is, forget it. He's never going to be in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Chris. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a pleasure to talk to both of you. <laughs> now, actually, you don't get off that easy. You promised me that you would bring some tips for us. So have you done your homework? Um, yeah, I, I have. And, and um, you know, one thing I would, I would tell people is, is really be aware um, of the non-native issue. Uh, most uh, state and federal agencies... Um, are combating non-natives everywhere throughout throughout the United States, and um, since so much funding goes into that, they've actually um, this, your state, uh, wherever you may be, and uh, your federal agencies such as Fish and Wildlife or USGS or um, all the feds out there, they they've put a lot of time into these um, non-native web pages, and I, I encourage people um, not necessarily to just get on there and and say, hey, look, you know, what's going on? Um, but uh, take it, be aware, and and uh, go, um, uh, well, yeah, go onto those web pages and, and see, you know, what's going in your backyard. And if you bought it from the local garden store down the street, don't just think that they, it needs to be planted up in the hills. Um, and also that goes the same for fish. If you bring something home from your local aquarium, don't just go throw it in the local pond because it might get out and reproduce and take over your whole area. You never know. So um, I I wish I could encourage people to just be more aware of their surroundings and, and um, really take advantage of those online databases. Now, Chris, it's, it's taken a lot of restraint for me not to ask you more questions about how I can become a bullfrog bounty hunter, but I'm not even going to ask you anymore. <laughs> I'm done with the bullfrogs. Um, I wish you the best of luck with everything. And, you know, I'd love it if you could check back maybe in the future and tell us how everything's going with Southern California Fish and Wild Game. These are very interesting topics that we like to cover because they're affecting not only Southern California, but clearly these are things that we're seeing nationwide. So thank you so much for being with us today, and it's been a joy. All right. Well, thanks for the conversation. Thank you very much, Chris. Enjoyed it as well, Chris. Thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. So, so Mandy, Byron, what'd you think about that? I loved him. I really do want to be a bullfrog bounty hunter. <laughs> but I guess if I don't, if I don't let you go and and join him in his fishing duties, you're not going to let me go, huh? Well, I like the concept of perhaps uh, learning to uh, catch uh, bullfrogs on fly fishing rods. That that could be. 
That could be a really a new sport we should take to California. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> well, no, I think he was very informative, Byron. I think these are some interesting, uh, interesting things that we're seeing that are clearly happening nationwide. So I think it was it was great getting to talk with him today. Well, listen until ne- until next week, everybody. I hope we made your life a little smarter, better, faster. <laughs> And more chip focused. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll throw wiser in there at the end. Thanks for everybody. For, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.